Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's always just such an honor. I am so honored every time I see Mama Davis walk in. I'm so grateful that you're here. So thankful. I know that you're not here to see us, but that sweet baby. (laughs) Uh, But we sure are glad that you're here and we honor you and are so grateful. And uh, we, we love, we love your legacy. We love your legacy. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to jump right in. Let's go to First Chronicles chapter 13. We will not be using the Passion Translation at all today. <laughs> it's only because he hadn't written all of the Old Testament yet. <laughs> uh, last several weeks we've been uh, hanging out uh, with the idea of sweeping the corners. And w- what I want to tell you is that when you're sweeping the corners, when you're removing clutter, when you're going after things that have possibly brought separation, when you're going after things that um, just have cluttered the area, the reason you sweep those is so that more of God can fill that area. You understand that? That the reason you go after that is so that more of his presence can come into that space. And so Last week we got into one of my one of my favorite stories, um, David bringing the ark back, and um, I, I, I want to I want to go back to that story, but we're, we're going to back up just a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit about his initial failure at attempting to to bring the presence back. I think it's really really important for us to understand, and and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, and and I know that you already know this, but I feel a responsibility to do what Ephesians 4 says, and that is to equip the body to do the work of ministry. I feel a responsibility. Sometimes that equipping can also be provoking. And that is also necessary. And and so I, I, I want us to, I want us to, Look at, again, the life of David. Here's why I love David. Not just because he was a man after God's own heart. That, that's not, you know, that's amazing and that's awesome. Not just because he killed Goliath. Not because he was king. Yada, yada. I love David because I can see so many facets of my life in him. I can see triumph. I can see failure. I, I can see uh, amazing battles that were won. And then I can also see the humanity that he has to deal with all the time. And so I I look at that and I realize that when the enemy was after David, he really wasn't after David. He was after the fact that there would be a blind man on the side of the road that would say, son of David, have mercy on me. See, when, when you look at when you look at these scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, you know, we know theologically they're always pointing to Christ. They're always pointing to the New Testament. But you have to understand that in your life, what you encounter and the things that you deal with on a temporary basis have very little to do with right now. 
I, I know it's hard for you to see past that, and it's hard for me to see past that sometimes because we feel like, man, I just I, I, I get one foot out of the fire and I step right into the frying pan. You, you know, it, it feels like it feels like that's the case. But I want to tell you, I, I was telling our staff this week as we were talking, if the enemy ever finds out that all it takes is trials, disaster, and trouble to hinder your pursuit, guess what you're going to deal with all the time? When he finds out what it is that will steal your gaze, then you're going to get a heavy dose of that over and over and over again. And you will not understand the reality of living from glory to glory, faith to faith, and strength to strength. That is why in the American church, we have a greater revelation of living from mountaintop to disastrous failure because we do not understand the concept of forever. We do not understand the concept of forever. And so I, I want us to begin to think one of the things I promise you that one of the things we talk about the most in regard to Awakening Church is what are we going to leave the next generation? The reason that I'm not jumping into debt to get some building that we can go in is because I don't want to send another generation into that kind of debt. I want us to begin to think about legacy. I want us to begin to think generationally because that's how Jesus always thought. That's how God always spoke. He has set eternity in our hearts. We have scripture for that, right? And so when he comes to Abraham, he doesn't say, hey, you're going to be rich. He already was. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to be powerful. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be amazing. He says, listen, I'm going to bless your seed. And until you get really excited about the next generation being able to receive what's available. That's why I said last week, I don't know if you remember this, but I said some of you, your most important weapon over the next several months, years, whatever, your most important weapon is not going to be your mouth. It's not going to be your money. It's going to be your pen. What can you write down in the regards of what you want to see for the next generation? Can you begin to dream about what a third grade awakening would really look like for your grandchildren? Can you begin to dream what it would look like for your children to never walk outside of the knowledge of the presence of God? Can you do that? And can you begin to make that happen? And so when, 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 we, when we jump into things like, like what the Lord is saying to us in regard to sweeping the corners and moving forward into what he has for us, it's imperative that we think generationally. So 1 Chronicles chapter 13 this is just a little more detailed version of the second Samuel scripture that we read last week, but this does not talk about David dancing. This really talks about uh, his approach to getting the ark the first time. So I think they're going to put that up there. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's short, uh, just, uh, I don't know, 14 verses or so. And then we're going to get into some other stuff. Are you good? Hallelujah. Verse one. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Now, let me just stop right here. First verse. There's an issue that I see right here because he's in the pursuit of presence and his consultation is not with God. His consultation is with man. You see that? David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds with every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, 
And if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out our brethren to everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in the cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, we, for, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor to Egypt, as far as the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kirith-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went to Balah, to Kirith-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up there the ark of God, God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. Verse 7. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with their might. They played music before the Lord with their might. With singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's, or Nashon, if you're looking in Samuel, the threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him, because he put his hand on the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. We, we, we see here this, this really interesting story of David having a very noble idea and a very noble thing that he wanted to accomplish, which was to bring the ark of God back to the city of Jerusalem. The Bible is full of stories and lessons that lead us to an understanding of the fact that God had an original intent in mind. There was a fall and a restoration made available to bring us back to original intent. We've been talking about original intent for many years now. What does it look like to be in a place of original intent? Well, if you go all the way back to the creation, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was what? Without form and void. So we see that formlessness and void is the backdrop on which God creates. We've said many times that, that there are so many issues and so many things that arise where we attempt to build something and build it to our pattern and expect God to come and bless it. This is where David finds himself. This is where David finds himself. What, let, let me ask you this, though. What is original intent? It's God with man in communion. Tangible presence encounters that fill us but leave us wanting more. This story is really interesting, and, and I've studied it from a lot of angles and, and 
have have meditated on this scripture for years and years and years. Man, I remember even back in the day, I remember my dad, he used to preach about this story all the time. And uh, I mean, he just, he, he has some, some wonderful revelations, some wonderful insight. But here's, here's one of the things that I see that is synonymous with this story that uh, I feel like we need to be aware of. Kingdom culture and cultural relevance are not synonymous. I want you to hear me. Kingdom culture and cultural relevance, 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 you like it? Are not synonymous, and they should never be treated as such. I, I, I want you to hear me. Beware, beware of those who attempt to make the kingdom culturally relevant. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that the more kingdom you become, the less relevant you will become to the culture. The more kingdom you become, the less relevant you'll become to the culture. Now, brother, how can you say that? We're supposed to be all things to all people that by some means we might win some. I appreciate that, but look at the life of Jesus and see that he was never attempting to be relevant to the culture. He came. He did not come to improve upon a system. He did not come to make other people feel good about the religious system that they were in. He came with a completely different paradigm and preached the kingdom over and over again, and it was not relevant to the culture. As a matter of fact, Jesus, if, when, you, when you look at his life, he was forever pushing the envelope to make sure that those that were walking with him were doing so because they had the right heart and the right motive and not because of something else. I love Jesus, and, and he talks to the, the 20,000 men, not including women and children, and they follow him uh, You know, after he feeds them. They follow him into the wilderness, and they, they go in there, and, and he looks at them, and he says, listen, he said, you didn't follow me because of the miracles. You followed me because I fed you. Are you going to stay with me? And if that wasn't enough, then we get into John chapter 6, and he says, hey, listen, if you're going to continue to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Then looks at the disciples and turns around and says, are you leaving too? But Peter in Revelation says, who, should we go, who could we go to? Your words have spirit and life. You, you are the one who has that. But I, I want you to understand that we fall into a trap when we attempt to be culturally relevant and kingdom. They're not synonymous. They're not synonymous. Now, let me say this. When you are fully operating in the measure of the kingdom and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of God, it will be irresistible to culture. You need to understand that. But you never attempt to look like culture so that you can pull them out into the kingdom. It's a fallacy. It's a fallacy. And we have people doing that all the time. We have churches, ministries that are built on that concept. And you cannot look like the world and expect to set them free. I, I talked about it, I think, last week or the week before, that, that, Moses, that Moses forsook the pleasures of Egypt for a season so that he could pull Israel out of Egypt because he endured as seeing one who was invisible. And so I want you to get this idea, but I want you to see what David did and the fact that he absolutely looks at the situation and says, hey, it would be great to bring the ark of God back and I think we'll bring it back on a new cart. I think we'll bring it back on a new cart. Ultimately, I want you to listen to this. Ultimately, Uzzah 
as the oxen stumble, the cart is the, the ark is about to fall. He reaches out to touch the ark. He is struck dead immediately. Ultimately, he died because of leadership that did not handle the presence correctly. I want you to hear that. He died. A younger generation died because the leadership did not handle presence correctly. He died with his hand touching tangible presence. He died with his hand touching tangible presence that was being carried incorrectly because the leadership was trying to shortcut the promise and move away from original intent. Leadership looked at the situation and said, we must have the presence of God. It's imperative that we have the presence of God. Let's go get it, but let's see how easy we can make it to bring that in. And that mindset and that leadership caused Uzzah to lose his life. Look at, look at Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 15. Can we put that up there and I won't flip to it? And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Here's my issue. David would have known this. David would have known this scripture. He would have known that they were supposed to carry the ark of the covenant, but he saw someone else do the new cart thing and said, hey, that's enough for me to put a generation in jeopardy to see if we can shortcut what it takes to actually bring the presence. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7. Now therefore, make a new cart. This is the Philistines. This is not the people of God. This is the Philistines. Now therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Next scripture. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in the chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. How many times did the enemy touch the ark of the covenant? Over and over and over again to make this happen. What I want you to understand is that this is not disobedience because they did not have the word of the Lord to carry the presence. This was the enemy. What happens is we will look at culture and say, hey, it's working for them. They're not operating in disobedience. It's working for them. Let's now take that idea and move it into what we can make kingdom culture now, and let's see if we can make this thing actually happen. This was not disobedience. They did not receive the word of the Lord. Now, I want to show you something in David's life that's really interesting. I, I really I, I want you to catch this because, because you know, I know I can give you a lot of scripture, and and we're talking about the ark, and it's, it's overlaid with gold, and, I mean, there's so much of that that points to Jesus, but I really want you, I want you to see this, that there was a progression in David's life 
that somehow brought him to this point where he thought the new cart was good, but it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. You, you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? We've heard that over and over again. I want to show you something about what Goliath was wearing that day. That's really interesting. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 5. Now, now you, can, you can read all of this. It's talking about his helmet. It's talking about how big his, his uh, spear was and all of this. But I want you to see this. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Everybody say coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter, same chapter, verse 38. David says, hey, listen, I'll go fight this guy. I'll take, I'll, I'll do it. Nobody else in Israel wants to. Is there not a cause? I mean, you know, the, all the great scriptures that we've used, is there not a cause? I will go and fight this guy. None of you want to fight him. But look at this. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head, and he was also clothed him with a coat of mail. Next verse. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these for I have not tested them, so David took them off. So we already see the political and religious spirit attempting to put on David the same thing that was on the enemy, but because David had just come from the pasture, because he had just come from the place where he encountered the Lord, he said, I will not take what the Philistine is wearing because it doesn't work for me. Let me take my staff and let me go get five smooth stones. I want you to see this. But now, now we see that the Philistines had a great idea about the new cart, and now David is older. Now David is wiser. David is more accomplished. And convenience is speaking louder than obedience and original intent. Listen, I want you to hear me today. I want you to understand that somehow there was a progression in David's life where he got away from the things that were working for him over and over and over again. Listen, you know, we, we, we've often heard people say that, that um, he would not have killed Uriah. Y'all have heard some amazing stories on what I'm about to tell you. He would not have killed Uriah if he would have been out to war. The Bible says that when the kings go out to war, that he should be there and it would be okay because he would have never even seen Bathsheba. Guess what? What kings are they talking about? Saul was the only one that Israel had had to that point. So they're not talking about the Israel. They're talking about pagan kings. Had he jumped into the lifestyle of the pagan kings and done what a real king is supposed to do, he would have never gotten himself into trouble. No, 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 no. There was a progression in David's life that brought him to this place. There was a progression that brought him to the area where he's more wise, he's more accomplished, he's a little bit older, and it doesn't take all of that. And maybe we don't have to do it just like we've always done it. And maybe, maybe I really don't have to give myself to worship, and maybe I don't really have to give myself to the things of God. And so let's just go get a new cart. Let's go get the thing that the enemy did because that makes more sense. They're doing it, and it worked fine for them. Nobody was killed. No, nothing happened. Hey, it looks good. Let's grab that. Let's do it at the expense of another generation. Listen, I want you to, I want you to listen to this. That convenience, if you're not very, very intentional, will trump your passion. 
convenience, if you're not intentional, will trump your passion. See, you know what passion is. You, you, you know what passion is, but you also know what convenience is, and so do I. And if we're not careful, then what is convenient begins to speak so much louder than the intentionality of pursuing the presence of God. How can you say that? Because passion is always measured by pursuit. Passion is always measured by pursuit. The casual, no big deal approach cost us his life. It's no big deal. Yeah, we're going to go get the presence of God. It's no big deal. How should we do that? Well, the Philistines put it on a cart and it worked for them. They were not in direct disobedience of the word of the Lord. But if you do that, come on, do you hear what I'm saying today? The no big deal approach. I'm, I'm reminded of a story where Jesus is at dinner at Simon the leper's house. And if you've been around me for any time, you've heard me talk about this because it, it, it wrecked my life so many years ago when the Lord began to talk to me about this. And the woman with the reputation comes in and begins to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And Simon had not even washed his hands or had not greeted him with a kiss, had not given him any oil. It was no big deal that Jesus was at the dinner table with Simon. It was no big deal. Many believe that this is a leper that Jesus healed. And so it's no big deal that the man who healed me and gave me new life would be sitting at my table. And this story is really interesting because Jesus perceives what Simon is thinking, which he's bad to the bone. He perceives what Simon is thinking. And when you read that scripture in Luke, you read it and it says that Jesus looked at the woman, but spoke to Simon. And I said, God, why did he do that? He said, because the worshiper always gets my eyes. It was a big deal it was a big deal to the woman who had a reputation. See, everybody in the room thought she had a reputation. Guess what? She knew she had one. Everyone in the room thought they were coming to Simon's party, but she thought Jesus was the party. And so she was fixed right here. And it said that he looked at her, but said to Simon, because the worshiper always gets his eyes. I want to tell you, if we are going to see something happen for the next generation, we got to part with this casual, no big deal approach to worship. We got to part with this casual, no big deal to corporate prayer. We got to, we got to part with this casual, no big deal coming together idea for what the Lord is wanting to do. It is a big deal. You say, well, I don't know about this. I'm not on my way to hell anymore. And that in itself is a big deal. Passion is always measured by pursuit. We owe it to generations. Listen to this. We owe it to generations to come to be genuine and authentic with our worship, not robotic or with form and routine. We owe it to generations to be genuine we owe it to generations to come to be genuine and authentic with our worship, not robotic or with former routine. I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. If your children, grandchildren, or just a younger generation, whatever, had to describe your worship and pursuit of the presence of God right now, what would they say? What would they say? Would they describe you as burning? 
Have they ever seen you lift your hands? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about at home. Have they ever seen you lift your hands? Have they ever heard you praying in the Holy Ghost? Have they ever heard you praying over them? Have they ever seen you in the early morning hours coming to meet God? Or do you just go through the routine over and over and over and over again and expect that something different is going to happen? Listen, I want you to understand, I'm not just trying to prod and I'm trying to poke, but I am trying to prod and I am trying to provoke just a little bit because we've got to begin to think about what we're giving the next generation. Would they know what it means for you to be in the word of God or is all they see is you on your phone or on TV? What is it that your children would describe? Listen, with fear and trembling, I ask my children. With fear and trembling, I ask them, do you see dad preaching a gospel in the pulpit that he's not living? Because I want to know. I love you, but what you think about me is not nearly as important as what they think about me. And I want to ask you, I want you to really do some searching today. Do they see you leading the charge in worship? Or do they see you sitting back and thinking it's somebody else's job? Do they see you bored in worship? Do they see you always just scrolling through that little device right there? Is that what they see? Look, that was perfect timing. Did y'all hear that? That was perfect timing. The Lord is all over this right now. I don't even know where it came from. But somebody got a notification right there. I pray it's the Holy Ghost. I'm serious, guys. What would they say if they had to sit down right now and they had to write what you look like in your relationship and your pursuit of the presence of God? Would it look like a new cart? Are you burning with the fire of first love? Or are you going through the motions? And do you have enough gumption in you to admit, you know what, I'm probably just going through the motions. I just want to know. I just want to know, what would they say? Would they know that mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever you want to say, would they know that you are burning for the things of God? Or would they say they're kind of underachieving a little bit? They're kind of underachieving. They've kind of backed off what, what we did at one time. Come on, I'm asking myself the same question. I'm, it, it, it's ever more in front of my eyes because I've got two that are not in my house anymore right now, and I've got two more, and I want to know, what is it that you think about this? And I, I just asked the other day, I said, Brady, I said, I need to know, man, do you feel the presence of God in this house when we talk about it? Do you, do you feel it? Do you know it? He said, Dad, I just woke up. I just want to eat my pancakes. Why? <laughs> Literally, he said that. <laughs> It was the bait and switch, though, because I was the one who made the pancakes for him, so I was setting him up. No, I'm just playing. But I really did. I asked him. I said, I want to know this. I want to know when, when, when you hear us talk about this, do you feel God in our house? Do you feel that? And I'm not saying that he doesn't come. And listen, I want you to hear me today. I'm not saying that he doesn't come with grace. What I'm saying is I don't want to be a company of Ananias and Sapphira. And what did Ananias and Sapphira do? Oh, they lied to the Holy Ghost. Yeah, 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 that was part of it, but that's really not what got them. What they really did is gave the perception that they were giving all, and they did not give all. And so I want to know, do we have a company that's really serious, or are you just trying to get through this life so you can make it to heaven? 
Or are you interested in doing something in the kingdom? See, David looked at this idea, knowing what was right, and said, I'm willing to try this because it's easy. Guess what? Marriage isn't easy. Kid, raising kids sure isn't easy. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. What's going to be our track record? What's going to be our track record? What would they say? What would they say? Some of y'all are just thanking the Lord right now that your kid are babies and they can't even talk, so they ain't going to say nothing. They're not about to say a word. I can't get no help in here. Would they know you're burning? Would they know you're burning? What about this? Does anybody you work with know you're burning? Does anybody you work with know that you are burning and passionate? I'm not talking about I come to church. So does the devil. Some of y'all bring him with you. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke. Would they know? The people you work with, would they know? Oh, here's one. Here's one. Does the fast food lady who doesn't get your food to you in 30 seconds know? You know, they used to say in the old school, shake that bush right there. Shake it. Here's what I want to tell you. Passion, purity, and a lifestyle of power should never be a seasonal thing. Should never be a seasonal thing. Are you burning with the fire of first love, or does the new cart sound more appealing? See, here's this thing. I've said it probably more than than anybody. That presence is the answer to everything. Doesn't matter what the question is. Presence is the answer. I'm challenging myself in that statement because there were all kinds of people who were in the presence of Jesus that never became transformed. So what I want to say is, is that presence is the answer for everything, but it's only when you allow yourself to get into the transformational presence of God that really changes you. I'm not talking about the chill bumps. I'm not talking about the, the charismatic cliches. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about do you really go deep enough to let him change that junk on the inside of you that you profess with yourself that you continue to struggle with? I'm just struggling. Same. Same. Said it over and over again. I'm struggling right here. But am I really doing anything to get into the transformational presence that causes that struggle to change to where I overcome that? Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world, and I've given you the ability to be more than a conqueror. So do we want to do that, or do we want to continue to struggle? And so David looks at the ox cart, and he says, man, that's really cool. That's really cool. They didn't have to carry it. We're not going to walk. All that way, right? Get me on my chariot, put that thing on a cart, and let's roll. Here's what's amazing. In complete, utter disobedience, they had a worship service, playing the instruments, singing with all their might, doing everything they can, walking in disobedience, knowing that the Lord said, you ought not do this. But here we go. Hey, shata, ba, 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 ba. Right? Asking God, I know you didn't say to do this, but would you come bless it anyway? 
I know you didn't say for us to do it this way, but would you come bless it? I know I didn't prepare. I know I haven't done what you told me to do, but please, in your grace and your mercy, would you come bless this? Oh, it didn't affect me. Yeah, but the other generation died. The other generation died. Now, we could stop here. That'd be a horrible ending to the story. Although I do feel like I'm getting better and better at awkward closes. It's a goal. One of these days, it's just going to end with a mic drop. Listen, passion, purity, and a lifestyle of fire and power should never be a seasonal thing. How do you make adjustments? How do you get out of the same routine? Listen, here's what I know, and this is what you know too, some of you. Some of you don't want to get out of it, okay? And I just want you to know that we know that. So we don't have to keep pretending There are some people that are in our company that don't want to make adjustments. They're happy with where they are. I bless you. Just don't get mad when we outrun you. I can tell you that because I've been on the failure side of David. I've been there. I've done things where I heard the word of the Lord and I thought I was operating in obedience, but ultimately I was operating in my own will. Because he's blessed me with a mind to think. Boy, I've justified it. I'm telling you, I've justified it. To where I almost thought I convinced him. You've blessed me with a mind to think and you've given me ideas and I'm a visionary and I can da 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 And the whole time he's back there waiting for me. Are you going to do what I said? Or are you going to continue to roll on in your own strength and your own power because that's what you're looking to see happen? I've been there, so I can, I can talk about this. That's why I love David. I can look at the triumph, I can look at the failure, and I can say, ah, but he was still a man after God's own heart. So how do you make those adjustments? David went back, and for three months, he made preparation to house the presence of God for the rest of his life. He realized what he had done wrong, that he had not consulted the Lord or the Scripture. He goes to the Lord, he goes to the Scripture, and he realizes how he is supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And then when they go to get it, the very thing that he tried to pull it with, with the new cart, he begins to sacrifice every six steps as he walks forward and says, I'm not going to see a generation die again. And I'm going to take six steps and I'm going to sacrifice whatever it means. See, here's the thing. We get so caught up thinking it has to happen really, really fast. That's when we start trying to take shortcuts. I'm warrior king. We got to go get the presents right now and bring it right back. You didn't become warrior king overnight. First, you were a shepherd out on the backside of the pasture with a harp, and he saw your heart. That was the first thing, David. Then you were the warrior who didn't put on the same armor that the enemy was wearing, right? But then... You were the one who was anointed king. But here's David's life. He's anointed king and then has to run for his life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
you're anointed king and you got to run for your life. All of that brought David to this part. He goes back and he says, okay, all right, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. How do, you, how do you make these adjustments that I'm talking about? How do you make these adjustments? Here's the first thing I want you to listen. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, the offering or sacrifice that you give must be in line with the significance of what God did. The offering and the sacrifice that you give to God must be in line with the significance of what he did. And I want you to take inventory, and I want you to ask, does my worship line up with what he did for me? Does my pursuit of his presence line up with what he did for me? David got it right the second time. How many of you are thankful for more chances over and over and over again? Number two, we must respond correctly and sufficiently in the high point of breakthrough. We must respond correctly and sufficiently in the high point. We're really good about seeking God when everything is terrible. We're really good at that. We're really good at that. So we're going to work on that, right? We're going to use what we have to secure what we lack. How do you respond at the high point of breakthrough? Number three, true thankfulness will always move you to sacrifice. True thankfulness. That's why we talk about a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship. True thankfulness will always move you to that. I can judge someone's thankful heart by the way that they worship. I don't want to be caught in a place where a generation is attempting to steady what we have dropped because we didn't handle it correctly. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of something that puts the generation behind us in worse place than they are now. I want to set them up for success in the presence of God. I want to be a people who teach them how to house the presence of God, not just in our corporate gatherings, but in our homes, in our everyday life. I want to teach my children what it is to be transformed by the presence of God. Not just a feeling that we run around trying to get a temporary fix, but that we would stay there so long that it brings complete change to who we are. What will the stories be like? What will the stories be like around the family table 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now? When they talk about you, what will they discuss? What will they discuss? Are you willing to give yourself as seed 
so that the next generation can have something to climb in. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we're asking, God, I'm asking right now that you would release hunger like never before in this body. God, I'm asking that you would release a hunger for your presence, a pursuit after you. God, that it would increase like it never has before. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would illuminate the areas of our life where we're trying to move and operate in convenience. God, in my life, I know that there are things that I've got to make adjustments on. I know that there are areas where I have bowed my knee to convenience. God, I'm asking you, shed the light of the Holy Spirit on those areas. I want to go after you with abandon. I, I don't want anything to hinder my pursuit of your presence, the transformational presence of God. I'm asking for you to release the grace for us to move together as a family and as a body to do what you are calling us to do. God, let us never forsake. Let us never forsake what you have told us, what you have walked us through. God, I know that we're here where we are because we've been praying for original intent. We've been praying for formless and void. God, I'm asking you, for the power of the Holy Spirit, to release your grace. Release your grace over us for pursuit. Jesus. Jesus. Give us wisdom. Give us revelation in the knowledge of who you are. Asking for it, Jesus. Asking for it. Just join the hand of the person beside you and just say, make us hungry. Make us hungry even more than we ever have. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.